welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, where we help women who have lost children to build a life of joy and purpose. Hello, my friends. In our last episode, uh, we talked about, uh, I, I told you a little bit about what helped me during my grief. And I promised that I would continue that discussion with the other five things that I outlined that really I remember helping me. And I'm hoping that some of those things will help you as well. These are things that I'm glad that I did. My goal with this podcast is to help others through their grief journey to build a life that they love after a tremendous loss. And in some ways, there's something freeing about experiencing such a loss. You've already gone through the worst, and you're still alive. And I know that it doesn't feel freeing right now if you're early in your grief, but as time goes on, there's a certain sense that, like I said, you've already experienced the worst thing that you can imagine happening. And so now you can just live your life knowing that you have survived that. And it's about being the hero of your story. One of the things that I did, and and just going on, I'm going to, like I said, list the five additional things that I had listed shortly after my loss that I remember helping me. And the first thing in this second part that I wanted to talk about is I had a handful of good friends that were willing to listen to me without judgment. That's so important. Um, when it, and I, I think what I noticed was that my friends that had experienced loss, I had a good friend whose husband had died when she was very young. So she became a widow in her early 20s. And she was really someone, uh, my friend Rachel, she was really someone that would listen to me without any judgment whatsoever because she had been through a tremendous loss. And so she recognized that sometimes when you're going through these tough times, it's it's easy for your thoughts to be a little chaotic. It's We, we talk a lot about if you have someone that you can really talk to, you'll talk a lot about your loss and that's a way for you to process. So it's good to have a handful of friends that are willing to listen. I also found that it was helpful for me if I was willing to listen to them as well, tell about their experience with their loss. That helped me to understand that I wasn't alone and that there was a measure of understanding there from my friend because they had already experienced something, a a tremendous loss, like I said. The, The next thing that I did was I accepted help readily. That was so unusual for me. I was one that wanted to help. I was one that wanted to especially be considered capable and someone who was considered to be self sufficient. I, I didn't want to be seen as someone who was needing help. That was very foreign to me. And so it can be tough when you are used to being very capable, very self-sufficient, to now have all these people coming and wanting to help. You may have experienced that you didn't get as much help as you wanted. That's another side of it. And I think that that goes in waves. Early on, in those first, especially if you've lost a child, people are wanting to do something and they don't know what to do. So they'll bring meals. I noticed a lot of people were bringing us meals. We basically had three groups of people that were very involved in helping us after our loss. The one was our church group and they 
organized themselves with, with a person as a spokesperson. So people weren't just contacting us directly. They would contact that person and they would coordinate with them. The other group was, I was a homeschool mom and I was the leader of group. And so our homeschool family really wanted to help as well. And so they were bringing in meals and they would coordinate with one person. And then the other one was our neighborhood. I was I had just joined the tennis team and my tennis team really came out in droves trying to, trying to help. In addition to meals, family came in and like I said, it goes in waves. So early on, you'll have a lot of people, you may have had a lot of people that have come in and said, hey, I want to bring you a meal, I want to help out in whatever way I can. But then after a few days, maybe a few weeks, but especially after the first few days, and after the funeral, and after the service, a week or two after the service, people will start to drop off, because now they're going back to their own life. And that is completely natural. It's completely natural for people to go back to living their life, that it's important for us to recognize that. But when possible, I would I would accept help. When somebody said that they were going to come help, they were going to bring a meal, we said yes. Um, my mom came and stayed with me. My sister came and stayed. My sister actually came and stayed for six weeks. She had, most of her children were grown at that point, and she brought her son with her, that who was still at home, and they came and stayed with us. Uh, it happened at the very beginning of the summer, so they were able to do that. And like I said, we accepted that help, and my sister really became an advocate for me and taking care of things uh, as I was recovering. The next thing that I did is I tried not to panic when I had dis- bizarre thoughts. Luckily, I had seen a counselor just a couple weeks after the accident, and he mentioned that it is very normal to have bizarre thoughts in those early days. Our mind is trying to grasp what has happened, and so it is it is normal to have bizarre thoughts. I realized it was my grief talking and it didn't define me. Those bizarre thoughts, those thoughts that I had that seemed abnormal, unusual, were just part of my grief talking. Now, you have to be the judge if you're experiencing bizarre thoughts and you think that they are are beyond just grief, then it's time to see a professional and, and ask those questions so that you know. The next thing that I did is I've I've lost others who are close to me, and I try to remember that eventually things get better. I think that was one of the things that really helped me in a bizarre way. I don't know how else to explain that, but I because my brother had died when I was in my early 20s, or late 20s, I should say, and um, I'd gone through divorce, I'd gone through some difficult things, and I knew that eventually things got better. And I think that really helped me because internally I knew that eventually things would get better, that I would would be able to heal to the point of being able to enjoy my life again and experience my life on that level that I wanted to. I, I knew that, that I was adapting, that it wasn't easy, but I also knew that as time went on and I was able to process my grief and able to come to terms with it and able to come to some understanding that things would get better. And that really helped me to know that. And hopefully, if you're early in your grief journey, my experience of knowing that I was going to get better, 
I hope that that will help you realize that things do get better. And as we work towards understanding and processing, things do get better. And that really helped me. Number five, the last of the second half. So this is actually, I guess, number 10. Number 10, I learned that trying to be strong can sometimes eat you alive. Grief and mourning are unavoidable and cannot and should not be avoided. So I mentioned that I had seen a counselor just a couple of weeks after our children died. And unfortunately, well, fortunately, he mentioned the fact that, that bizarre thoughts, unusual thoughts were common and normal in the, in the grief process. So that was the good part. Unfortunately, the other piece that he said to me that for, for whatever reason didn't get translated correctly in my brain, I want to say, I, I don't think that he meant it in a harmful way. And I think that overall, it was probably good advice, but maybe the timing was wrong. He said to me that you look like a strong person. Like I said, this was two weeks. I believe it was two weeks from the accident. You look like a strong person. You'll get through this. We decide if we're going to be happy. You can decide to be happy. Now, I think that's good advice in general. Unfortunately, in my mind, it was saying to me, that I needed to put aside my grief, I needed to put aside my mourning, and I needed to be strong now. I needed to be happy now. And so in the first two or three months, I don't remember the exact timing, I allowed myself to mourn, I allowed myself to be sad, but I got impatient with myself way too quickly. And in my impatience and wanting to just be done with the grief and the mourning, then not only did I have the grief, not only was I experienced the grief, but then I was beating myself up because I wasn't being happy. And I was trying to force myself to be happy with no tools, with no understanding of what that meant. And I do think that we do get to a point where we can be happy and we can choose to be happy. But I don't think that that happens right away. I think it takes a long time to get to that point. And everybody's timeline is going to be different. For me, it was about three years. And frankly, I got worse. I would say that that's normal. Early in our grief, there's a numbing that happens. Our brain is trying to cope. And so it numbs us. And that's, that's a lot of the reasons why we can't feel joy because it numbs our emotions in general. And in those early days, we really aren't even feeling the full impact, I don't believe, of our grief. And so as, as those days go by, and as we become able and more able to process our grief, we start feeling the impact of it on a greater level. And these waves of grief are things that we don't really have control of. And that can cause us some concern because we're like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to be in control again? And I would say, yes, you will. But in the early days, maybe you remember those early days and remembering not having that control. Adding to that, adding disappointment, impatience, irritations with it, irritation with ourselves for experiencing our grief does not help anything. We need to be patient with ourselves 
and we need to allow ourselves the time, whatever time that is, and we need to not allow other people to say, it's time to be over it. We decide when it's time. We decide when it's time to move forward. And we will at some point come to a place, I believe that most of us will come to a place where we're like, yes, it's time to move forward. But nobody else determines that but us. And even years later, it's been 11 years for me, even years later, when there's moments where I feel the sadness to a greater extent than I do other times. So, for example, birthdays, our our kids' birthdays, or the date that they died. Those are times when we feel that sadness, we feel that grief more than we do the rest of the year. And that's kind of ongoing, but it's manageable. If I choose to beat myself up because all of a sudden I'm feeling sad because it's the week of the birthday, our kids were born... Uh, born nine days from each other, one on September 20th, the other on September 29th. So we are right in the middle in September. We're kind of right in the middle of that grief period where we're really remembering them with love and appreciation and gratitude that they were in our life. But there's also tremendous sadness that they're no longer in our life. Even though I believe that I will be with them again. It is still sad to not be with them now. If I don't feel my sadness, but instead beat myself up for feeling sad, it only compounds things. We need to experience the emotions that we're having. And so I'm grateful that I eventually understood that and stopped beating myself up for those times when I feel sad or I'm grieving. So I'm grateful to be able to have shared these ideas with you. I hope some of them are um, helpful to you. I just want to remind you again, the last five that I just shared with you um, was number six. I had a handful of good friends that I knew would be willing to listen to me. Uh, Number seven, I accepted help readily. Number eight, I tried not to panic when I had bizarre thoughts, unusual thoughts, because I knew that that was my grief talking. Number nine, I had lost, I'd experienced loss before, and maybe you have too. And looking back on that loss and remembering that I did get to a place of healing really helped me to look forward in my grief. Number 10, I learned that being strong can sometimes eat you alive, that you have to allow yourself to process the emotions, to feel the emotions that you're feeling. It is a process of adapting. And I am so grateful that I was able to share that with you today. I don't know where you are personally in your grief. I would love to hear where you are and uh, how I can help you. We'll help others and just give you a feeling that you are not alone. Thanks for joining me today. What did you take away from today's episode? I'd love to hear. Visit me at Build a Life After Loss and remember to subscribe in your podcast app so you'll get the new episode each Wednesday. Talk to you next week.